This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast, the best independent sports podcast on the planet, is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Panko Chicken. Panko Chicken is the home of the best Japanese American chicken tender, and it continues to rack up the awards in Atlanta, winning the 2019 Super Bowl Live Top Sling Vendor Award, multiple best selling tastes at the Taste of Atlanta Awards in 2017 and 2018, and even the best fried chicken award at the 2018 ATL Panko is all about connecting cultures, cultivating happiness, one chicken tender at a time. I love Panko, their family, and I can't thank them enough for their support of this podcast. It it just it means a lot. And um yeah, so go to their Midtown location, their Tucker location, and all their future locations as they take over Atlanta because they're family and I love them and I couldn't be more excited to see more and more locations pop up and all of that um that goes with it so go to go to panko get some chicken get some rice get some beer there's all kinds of great stuff um whatever you want panko chicken has it so go do that um also go to chase thomas podcast.com i am uh i'm writing my ass off there uh these days so go do that read my stuff you can get access to all of my previous episodes you can buy my merch you can learn more about just why I do what I do and why I believe I'm going to get where I want to go. Um, this is my dream, this, uh, this sports media thing. And um, you were going to see me on ESPN one day or Sports Illustrated or Fox Sports or DAZN or whoever um, because I'm not going to quit. I am, I'm going to keep fighting. I'm going to keep grinding. I'm going to keep punching out episodes, writing articles, and just outworking everyone because I just I just want this more and I believe my product and I believe in where I'm going. Um we're over three hundred episodes strong and this is what I want. Uh there will be no slowing down. Took a break, but this is uh this is my jam and this is what I want. This is my passion. And uh yeah, so leave a rating leave a review on iTunes. It means a lot. Share my articles on Twitter, Facebook, wherever. Um, and join me as I keep climbing the ladder and all of that, because I, I just, I need your support. So if you like the podcast, keep listening, keep subscribing, tell tell your friends, keep sharing it out, keep reading my work. And, uh, yeah. So, okay. All right. Uncle Darren, let's go. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, welcome back to a 
Tuesday night edition of the Chase Thomas Podcast. I am the aforementioned Chase Thomas. Stacey Gatsoulias is here once again. She's getting back into the Chase Thomas Podcast routine. So for that, I am thankful. Stacey, good evening. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Thank you for having me. I'm I'm good. Um, a lot of, I mean, the baseball is about to get in that point every year where we've all moved on or the, except for like the hardcore fan graphs, effectively wild people where they're like, no, we're still doing this. We're still keeping up everything else. And like the buster only types who get up at like five o'clock in the morning to record their podcasts. Um, <laughs> but we're all just like, okay, the postseason once it starts, we'll turn our attention back. But right now football is the, the prime focus right now, but um, baseball is getting interesting and the twins are getting hit with the, a very unfortunate injury bug right now and the Pineda suspension <laughs> yes not great <laughs> no really awful timing um you know the uh, buxton injury he's just he's snake bitten you know he was on the il i think four times in 2018 and he just you know just at the time when he was picking things up and he was hitting well he injures his labrum and now has to have season ending or had season ending uh surgery and won't be back until next year it's it's not good and he's just like it's very strange because he's just had this career renaissance and it was like one of those things where we just kept waiting and waiting it's like okay maybe it's just not gonna happen maybe he's just not gonna hit and then he hits and now he's not gonna be able to play in the postseason with them this year and that just that sucks Mm -hmm. it does i mean you know they'll be fine um they're five games up on Cleveland. So, I mean, I think they should be fine um, unless some sort of epic, you know, Mets circa 2007 collapse happens. But I don't envision that happening to the Twins. Um, you know, I think they called up Ronald Torres uh, to replace him on the roster. And, you know, I mean, he's not really going to replace him on the roster. He's just going to be a body there. He's not really going to do what Buxton does for the twins but yeah it's just what bad timing for them yeah i mean if you look at his final i guess it's kind of sad his final tally for 2018 because it um it is over he he finished with two points of in war um wrc plus of 111 so it wasn't like he was like an elite hitter or anything this year but he was he was just good he was someone that you could actually have out there and it's also his amazing fielding and everything else um just it's it sucks because he is in that mid twenties range of all these guys in this team now who are great. Miguel Sano, you have Max Kepler, you have Jorge Polanco, you have the young, extremely young Nelson Cruz, the ripe old age of <laughs> let me see here, thirty eight years old, um, having and a great he, year there. Yeah, and he plays like he's twenty six. It's amazing. Um, what are you suggesting, Stacy? Are you suggesting that he may um have something in his system that makes him play closer to the age of 26 than the age of 38. Is that what you're insinuating there? I am not insinuating anything. You would know if I was insinuating something. (laughs) He's like, is he your number one pick if like a a suspension came out tomorrow for a a 60 day ban for something? Cruz has got to be in like the top five. I would think so. Yeah. 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 35 home runs this year at age 38. Um, I, 160 WRC plus look, Nelson Cruz, um i great year everything's great all i'm saying is it would not just like blow me away if i saw on the ticker on espn one day nelson cruz suspended for 120 games for something i'd be like oh okay 
<laughs> I, but I honestly think it's really the baseballs because there are so many guys yeah. who are hitting tons of home runs. And even if they're not hitting tons of home runs, they're hitting home runs really far. Guys that you would not expect to hit 400 plus foot home runs. And you're just like, really? Like, how's that happening? It's got to be something with the balls. I don't care what Rob Manfred says. <laughs> yeah. And I don't like that their explanation was like, we're not really sure. We know right. something's different, but like, how does baseball not actually know? Like, you, yeah. I don't get that. And you taught you have enough pitchers remarking about how different the ball is, how it feels, how the grips feel. I mean, Masahiro Tanaka has been struggling with his splitter all season because he can't get the grip right because something's up with the seams. But baseball's acting like, oh, I don't know, nothing to see here. <laughs> interesting the seams mm -hmm. it's amazing how little granular stuff like that can affect so many different things and i'm sure a lot of people scoff at something like that but uh, for tanaka like that's genuine and it's it's real mm -hmm. um, i actually think it was it may have been noah Syndergaard also said something about the ball not feeling right um, i think he would like just to have the catcher that he would prefer and we'll <laughs> get into that um if he can just get that out of there if he could just never have ramos in his life ever again um i think that's 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 a good start to keeping him happy what a year yeah. for him but yeah. um we'll get to the mets and the just full-on metsy behavior um but the twins man like it's just Pineda's injury sucks um it seems like everybody who's started a game for the twins this year has an fip of exactly four i don't think you're allowed to be elite in minnesota and playing in that ballpark i don't think we'll ever see like some ridiculous 2.85 fip for anybody but like the Jake Odorizzi stuff is still very bizarre. Um, Jose Barrios, Kyle Gibson, Pineda, like they had a lot of guys. Martin Perez um, has not been great, but I I don't know. They're they're interesting. Like the Twins pitching staff is um, I I don't know. I, I just I don't know how it's going to work in the playoffs. I don't know what kind of rotation they do. What do you think they do if they win the Central and they get a at least a three games out of somebody? Hmm. I don't know if, you know, because like, like I root for the Yankees, as everyone knows. And I mean, their rotation is also kind of questionable, although guys have been performing OK lately, like Paxton's picked it up a bit. And Jay haps in the midst of like an almost 16 inning scoreless streak, which is kind of a miracle. And I know that a lot of people want to see them um, do the whole opener thing. <laughs> during the division series and more and more teams are starting to do that sort of thing. I don't know if the twins would do it. The Yankees um, did it. Right. Um, although that was the one wild card game became an opener game because Severino didn't do so well against the twins two years ago. <laughs> that was a really fun game though. And the Yankees, like didn't the twins get off to a really hot start? They had like two or three like home runs or something in the first, like did Sano homer early? It was and three the runs in the first yeah. inning. Yeah, and I was like, "Oh God, they're actually going to do this!" And then yeah. the Yankees proceeded to steamroll them as the and game the, went on. But yeah. yeah, and the Yankees were like, "No, we're the Yankees. You're the Twins. We've been beating up on you since 2002. You're not winning this game." <laughs> Jesus, I have twin fan listener Stacy. No, look it up. It's the weirdest thing I've ever seen in my life. The yeah. the win loss record between the Yankees and the Twins in the past. If you want to go down weird baseball stuff, um, go down Mike Fears' record and performances against the Astros this season, and mm -hmm. then look at who it is against everybody else. It's wild. He got murdered last night, um, nine runs um, in like an inning and a half, 
and he has like an 8.43 something ERA and five starts against the Astros this year, but he's just been elite every other time and he just is able to be like oh astros they got me all right back to elite status got that out of my system like i it's it's weird yeah and the astros you know um although i think tonight uh the a's are exacting some revenge on them but the astros beat the mariners what was it 21 to 1 the other day and then last night against the a's they just beat up on them i think it was 10 nothing in the second inning so they're kind of, I don't think anyone can pitch well against the Astros when their offense is going off like that, no matter who it is. Um, you're not going to believe this, but I think the Astros might be pretty good. I, yeah, I would say so, because uh, they've won 95 games, and that's usually an indicator. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, um, I don't know where you stand on this, because I think the Yankees and the Braves are in similar situations. Um, the Yankees, I think, in a little bit better uh, position but it seems like we're destined for an astros dodgers world series in a lot of ways but baseball is also weird and the postseason anything could happen to a certain extent mm-hmm. um but it, it just braves fans are getting pretty feisty i'm sure yankees fans don't like hearing like oh, you're not you're not really the astros they should be the favorite and it's like you should not expect to be a world series contender until you actually knock down the astros like until someone beats the dodgers and until someone beats the astros it's like are you really contenders? I mean, it's cute that you're great and you're winning a lot of games and that kind of stuff. You have a lot of cool young talent, but like, are you really, you really contender? Do you really think that you're better than the Dodgers? And like the, the Braves nationals fan inviting is, is entertaining, I guess. But like, I don't know. I'm just like, eh. do you know what buzzsaw awaits you? Like the Braves are not getting through the Dodgers, Astros and, or Yankees. I just, I find that extremely hard to believe. Maybe, maybe they do it. Maybe. Um, but I have my doubts and I wonder if the Yankees, do you, do you think as a Yankees fan and analyst, they are capable with their current group to get past the Astros and the Dodgers and win a world series? I think they could get past the Dodgers because they beat them in LA two out of three. And the other game, the one that they lost was, um, a two, one game. It wasn't like they got killed by the Dodgers. I think they match up pretty well against the Dodgers and can actually beat them. I'm more worried about the Astros with their rotation but like you said i mean the playoffs are a crapshoot you never know what the hell's going to happen you know you could have a team um beat you all regular season and then you meet them in the playoffs it's zero zero you're back to the beginning it's everything's you know uh pushed aside and uh, i mean that happened in 2017 uh the indians beat up on the yankees in the regular season and then the yankees were actually able to eke out a five-game series win. And that was even after the disaster of game two when they were up, what was it, like 8-1, and they ended up losing because Joe Girardi's a moron? (laughs) Didn't challenge something? (laughs) So, I mean, anything could happen. I mean, the Braves could come in and beat the Dodgers in a division series. You never know. Stranger things have happened. Yeah. I just, I'm not confident. Like, the Braves fans who are just, like, celebrating everything, like, I've enjoyed this team, this team's a lot of fun, but I'm like, eh, I, they're, they're probably not going to beat the Dodgers. And if they do, I don't think they'll beat the Astros. It's fine. They're great. They're a good team. But I'm just not, like, I, I don't know. Maybe it's just because of Well, it's good to this. go, yeah, but it's good to go in like that because right. you don't expect much. And then if it does happen, like, that's what happens. Well, no, with- that's me. Like, I don't think Braves fans are thinking like that. I think the Braves really do think that they're the favorites and they have a real shot. Like, they should be considered like favorites to win the NL right now. And I'm like, eh, eh, okay. 
all right. And then like the nothing will bother me more than the Freddie Freeman stuff. Like that happens like every three weeks after a good game of like, oh, he should be in the MVP conversation. I hate that this player X should be in the conversation because the people who say that they know they're not the MVP every Mm -hmm. single time that's ever mentioned. It's always like the sixth best player in the sport (laughs) where it's like he should be in the conversation. And it's like, well, no, clearly they shouldn't because you know who never like we were never like Tom Brady should be in the MVP conversations no it's like tom brady's the mvp lebron james should really be in the mvp conversation no he's the mvp you say that about the guys who are on the fringes who are still really good like one of the best players in their sport but clearly not the best and not deserving so why are you throwing it out there like they're realist like he's not better than cody bellinger like he's not better than Kristen yelich it's not a conversation shut the fuck up why do we do this every year it drives me nuts the freddie freeman is actually should be in the mvp conversation every year drives me insane as you can tell it gets me fired up because i'm like no one actually would take him over bellinger yelich stop it stop it and that's the real that's the real um test for an mvp uh, I was talking about this with my friends the other night where people are talking about certain players for al mvp and it's like no it's mike trout right like Mike Trout's the guy. You it's boring as shit, but it's still Mike your, Trout. Exactly. You would trade anyone on your team for Mike <laughs> Trout. I don't care who it is. Right. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> and um, hopefully his his toe situation gets gets put together soon. Is that a, is that a serious thing? What is going on there with his foot? Oh, you know, I'm not even sure because uh, I I knew about that, but not much about it. I'm. I didn't realize that that was an actual... Has he missed games because of it? I think he had surgery. He had some sort of procedure on his foot today. <laughs> really? Jesus, Mike Trout. I need, this I is... To... Yeah, I... um, He's clear to return to the Angels lineup when he feels ready from 28 minutes ago. So I don't know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I just saw that. The Orange County Register. Yeah. I see I see the headline. Okay, undergoes procedure to address foot issue. See, I had no idea. Okay, right toe discomfort. So it's his what is right a procedure. Like why like what does that mean? That can mean so many different things. I had a they right toe ta- procedure. They could have taken a toenail off, who knows. Ugh. Ugh. That that hurt me. <laughs> yeah, let's hope that's not what it was. I've never had it happen, but I feel like it's happened to me 19 times just looking at someone else's where it's just like ugh. Mm-hmm. I it just I, it should have happened by now because I've stubbed my toe um at least forty three times in my life, but never enough to just really saw up uh, the toenail and have it pop off. But enough about uh, my physical <laughs> deformities. Um, Mike Hazen, the general manager for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Mm-hmm. I this was something I actually was just. I was writing something else and it popped up on the ticker. Somehow, like uh, where I was, uh, the Diamondbacks press conference with Mike Kaysen was on the screen, on one of the screens. And I was like, huh. Um, and also, every MLB general manager is like completely anonymous. They could walk anywhere in the world. Even Brian Cashman's probably the closest one, I guess you would know. Mm-hmm. And maybe Theo in Chicago. But like, if Theo goes into Atlanta, I don't think anybody knows who that is. Um, it's probably pretty nice. They're just like, oh, that guy probably is like a, a just he works at Goldman Sachs. That's what they all look like now. But <laughs> I I looked at him and I was listening to what he was talking about, and there was this honesty about how he viewed his team. And I go back and forth on this, where the Diamondbacks did something interesting in that they didn't do a full teardown. They are perfectly content selling certain guys off. They didn't trade Robbie Ray. They didn't do a full teardown. 
but they also aren't afraid to move guys like Zach Greinke for the right deal um, mm-hmm. or what they deem to be the right deal. They are not going to do a full teardown, um, and they, they really could have based on just what Dave Stewart left them um, before Hazen came in, and you could understand why they would elect to do that, but they're not going down that model. They're going down kind of like a Houston Rockets NBA type thing where it's like they're just – they're going to keep the guys they have, the core guys. I mean, yeah, Goldschmidt was traded and all that kind of stuff. But, like, their farm system's getting a little bit better. Um, they have some good, intriguing guys in the pipeline. And they're not going to make drastic decisions to chase a World Series ring right now, which is what he talks about. He's like, not many 500 teams go on to win the World Series. So it's just not a favorable bet to make some win-now moves for that. But also, like, we're not going to do the other thing where it's like, no, we're not just going to trade Robbie Ray just to trade him. We're not going to do this just to do it. Um, what do you think about Hazen and the Dimebacks approach of like, we're perfectly content being 500 for a couple more years while we wait for our guys to come in and hope they pop and get us over the hump? Or um, we'll, we'll just have to see. But I think it's kind of refreshing that they're not just committing to four years of just atrocious Miami Marlins type baseball. Right, right. They're not doing the complete um, tank that other teams have done. Um, you know, I think it's interesting. They're only two and a half games out of, uh, is it the second wild card? Yes. I think so. I mean, they're right in there. Um, by the way, I think we mentioned this on the last episode I was on that. I really still want chaos with the NL wild card and it's still sort of there. So I'm kind of mm-hmm. hoping that that happens. Um, but I do, I think like you said, it is refreshing because so many teams have gone the other way where they just don't care. And they just, tear everything up and they're like, okay, we're going to suck for the next few years. And it's, you know, not fun for the fans to go through that sort of thing um, and have to sit through your team, do a total rebuild because in some cases it does take four, five, six years for you to see the benefits of this total teardown. So what they're doing, keeping some of the guys that they have, um, you know, Kettle Marte is kind of emerging from that team mm-hmm. doing pretty well. Um, so you give the fans something to cheer about at least. And like I said, I mean, they have a chance to at least make the wild card game, which would be exciting for the team considering, um, where they were at the trade deadline, you know, cause I mean, most teams in the NL West were probably thinking, yeah, we're not catching the Dodgers. <laughs> so right. why even bother trying to do something for just the next two months if we have no chance, no shot of even coming close to them. So I mean, they could have they could have traded uh, Jared Dyson. They could have um, moved some other guys, but they they elected not to, and they're still kind of in the thick of things. Um, like you said, Marte um, has been great for them, um, and he's only twenty five. Nick Ahmed is uh, twenty nine, so a little bit on the other side, but he's he's <laughs> okay. Um, you have Carson Kelly, who's twenty four. You have Christian Walker, who's twenty eight. You have um, some young, intriguing talent that might hit as uh, they get older. Um, but Robbie Ray was like all the conversation as to what they were going to do with him at the deadline. Cause he's been so up and down and he's still only 27 and they're like, no, he's 27. We're going to, we're going to keep going with this thing and we're going to bet on, um, bet on our guy. And we're going to, we're going to see what he does. Like, like even Adam Jones and stuff like that. They just, they're a really hard team to figure out, but I, I was hard on them over the JD Martinez stuff. Mm. In that, like, they didn't just pay him. And, like, why did you trade for him and make one kind of pseudo run it contention and just punt and do what they did? But then um, it's been okay. And I think we'll have to see what happens with the the package they got for Goldschmidt in the end. But 
they are operating at least in a unique fashion. And for that, I appreciate the Arizona Diamondbacks. So Diamondbacks fans, leave me alone. I will not mention the uh, JD Martinez stuff anymore. I will not lambast you. Um, that's the Indians. Sorry, Indians. Like as long as they miss the playoffs, I'm happy. Like if the Indians miss the playoffs, I am super thrilled because that front office and ownership group is God awful. And um, I, I hope nothing but the worst for everything Cleveland um, with this iteration. That's it's, funny. They're awful. I mean, I I still just think we should have spent like every baseball writer that I love. I wish wrote a, a piece on um, the comments that uh, that front office made leading up to the season and telling fans they should enjoy Lindor while they can. A guy in his prime on your team, just the best player on your team. Enjoy him while you can, folks, because we're already telling you we're not paying him because we're that cheap. Great stuff. Amazing. What a great organization. <laughs> That organization uh, is trash. They also traded for Mike Leake. Like they just do all kinds of weird stuff. Like I just it, none. Of, you don't trade Zach Greinke and then trade for Mike Leake in the same trade deadline. Um, I I just I love it. Their commitment to 500 baseball is um not my favorite thing. I guess I don't know. <laughs> um, now the last thing mm. we've hinted on this a little bit. Noah Syndergaard, who was almost going to get traded and then not getting traded, and then uh. The Mets looked like they might go on a wild card push and then obviously did not go on a wild card push. They have another little kerfuffle behind the scenes. And uh, Noah Syndergaard has been very adamant and very plain in his uh, belief that uh, Wilson Ramos cannot handle his uh, pitching and does not want any part of him. He would much rather have even Paula Duca behind home plate, I'm going to guess. <laughs> But that's not an option. Instead, Ramos was sent out with him. And I just love, I wish there was video of the moment when he realized when he came up that it was Ramos catching. Because like, mm-hmm. I, I want to believe that the Mets are that Metsy where they snuck him on to the field and put the mask <laughs> on before he could tell. And then just hope that it, he wouldn't notice until the game already started or something. That would be amazing. That would be amazing. And it would be very Metsy. Although it would be more Metsy. Um, I, I would think that Bobby Valentine would do something like that. I'm not sure mm. Callaway would. You know, it seems like a Valentine move. Do we know anything about Callaway, though? Are we sure that he wouldn't do it? Like, anything's possible. That dude threatened to beat up some reporters this season. That's true. I was going to just bring that up. Yes. I think he's got some Bobby Valentine in him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is very true. I just think it's funny that... Um, you know, other teams, other pitchers have had personal catchers. Yeah. Um, AJ Burnett famously would not have Jorge Posada catch him. They did not get along. And he had Jose Molina catch for him in 09, Cervelli catch for him in 2010. Um, you know, and I know a lot of Yankee fans got annoyed about that, but it's like um, you want the pitcher to be able to pitch. And if they feel more comfortable with a certain guy back there, then you're going to have to deal with it. And I kind of don't understand why the Mets are having a problem with this and being kind of bratty about it. Because wouldn't you want one of your better starters to feel comfortable on the mound? Like, I don't know, Callaway said something to the effect of, well, you know, we can't have someone have their personal catcher. We have to think about winning games. But you would be winning games if your pitcher had his personal catcher and felt comfortable throwing to him, you know what I mean? (laughs) Like it kind of feels like 
what are you talking about? Just let him have his personal catcher. It's obvious that um, he's not working well with Ramos, so just do something about that. You want your team to win, and you want your pitcher happy, so give him his personal catcher. I think he's earned it at this point. And I also think it's amusing that when um, Brody Van Wagen, how do you say his name? <laughs> oh, Van, Ber- Van Wagenen. There you go. When he was Jacob deGrom's uh, agent, he mm-hmm. told deGrom to speak up and encourage the Mets to allow him to have a personal catcher. And now that he's the uh, GM, it's like, oh, no, Syndergaard, Syndergaard can't do that. <laughs> it's, I just love that it, he gets it granted sometimes. Mm-hmm. I, I just love that they weren't, they're just, if you're going to give it to him sometimes, why not give it to him all the time? If you already like, what? What is the the point behind just like sometimes okaying it and sometimes not? That is just the the lack of consistency on this kind of stuff is just it's just wild. And I love that Ramos isn't talking about it right now. Um, but it's, it's so messy. I just I love that him. He's just like it's about being comfortable out there. I just would love to know his real explanation as to why he doesn't like Ramos catching for him. There's got to be something. Like, what do they? I don't know. He the way he described it, you're like, dude, what is he even talking about? Like, this is a direct quote. I know in terms of pitchers and catchers, there's a certain it factor. There's a symbiotic relationship that two guys can possess. Is he saying he has no like? chemistry like he doesn't have to date ramos like what what is this (laughs) that's what it sounds like right like it's one of those things where it's like he went on a bad first date with ramos and i was just like you gotta have it and i just wasn't feeling it um when he started talking about like his addiction to mayo it it was just a huge red flag and i i just couldn't couldn't get past that and unfortunately we're not gonna be able to see each other in the future it's it's wild to me and it's uh you know he's in 15 games with Ramos, he has a 5.09 ERA. And um, with Nido, is that how you say it? 10 games, 2.45 ERA. And then that's a big difference. Yep. You know, and I think Ramos was the one catching the game when the Cubs beat up on Syndergaard, right? In that game, when he gave up 10 runs. Um, and then he came out the next game, and he pitched like seven scoreless innings with uh, Rivera behind the plate. So it's like, I don't know. I really, I mean, I understand uh, Ramos is actually hitting the ball, so it would be beneficial for the Mets to have him in the lineup, and they don't have the luxury of putting him as a DH. So, I don't know. I just think it's it's so goofy right now. I mean, if it's all about winning, you need to make your pitchers happy. Yeah. Even, I mean, pitchers are weird guys anyway. Right. Like, you know what I mean? Like, they all have these weird superstitious things and, you know, hopping over lines and not touching them and doing certain, like, eating the same thing before a start or not speaking to people before starts. So if you know how quirky pitchers can be, just give them what they want. That's all. It It's not that complicated. I just <laughs> I don't know why the Mets are just going full Metsy with this. And also, like, if you really want to just give Noah Syndergaard the year from hell, like, he's actually being better about everything. Like, they wanted to, they, like, dangled him and, like, his former agents dangling him in trade talks and, like, going back and forth. Like, none of this made sense. And mm-hmm. he has all the reason in the world to actually want out. He is in a great situation this offseason to be like, yeah, I think I'm done with this. Right. 
I I don't. It's nothing I understand um, with the Mets. So what else is new? Um, <laughs> all right, Stacy. So what do you? This is what is today? September tenth. Mm. What is your gut telling you about um, how the rest of the season unfolds? Who are your playoff teams? Okay. The Rays are going to win the first wild card in the uh, AL. Side note: How excited is Manfred about Rays A's? in a wild card game. Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, I think Oakland will be able to uh beat out Cleveland. I mean, they're like Cleveland's right on top of them right now, but other than that, they're the only threat. I mean, Boston's eight out. Uh Texas is 12 and a half out, so um it'll be interesting to see how Oakland and Cleveland do down the stretch. Um but I see Oakland beating them out for that. So, um you know, and then obviously Houston, Yankees, Minnesota. Um, now, the NL, like I said, I'm very excited that there are so many teams in the mix here. Because, I mean, even the Mets, they're just four games out of the wild card. So anything can happen these next few weeks. Um, I think Washington should be in the wild card game. I, I don't see them um, screwing up that much down the stretch. Um which kind of sucks because what I, I mean, it's cool that they figured it out and everything else. But like, I really just wanted a NL Central uh, wild card game between the Cubs and the Brewers, just mm. the how tense that would be and yep. the fallout from either team losing. Just that is a um, Chef's Kiss moment, um, <laughs> right. regardless. So I, I, that's what I wish we were getting, but that's not what we're going to get. I'm kind of hoping. Well, I don't know um, how a wild card. Uh, like a tie would work between the Cubs and Milwaukee. Like, I guess they would go regular season record against each other. And then they would, uh, that person, that team would win the second wild card. Like, I don't think there'd be a tiebreaker, right? That's a good question. I don't know. Huh? I would love, now that would be amazing if they had to have a play in before the wild card game. Yeah. I wouldn't mind seeing that. That would be cool. Let's just keep adding play-in games. Let's just everybody gets a play-in game. The Mets, Nationals play-in for the play-in, and then we can do another one. Uh, just go up and down the list. That's what we should do. Yeah, we'll do Philadelphia and the Mets and mm-hmm. the Cubs and the Brewers. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. Keep adding people, and then they can raise the banner if the Phillies win. They can uh they can add that to the to the park. <laughs> pre i don't even know what you would call it um all right stacy i think uh that does it for today but um is there anything we should check out from you this week um in baseball or yankees coverage uh just locked on yankees you know every day i record that podcast and i give you all the info you need to know about the yankees all right i think they hit a lot of home runs there you have it folks Jace Paxson, actually good. Um, All right, Stacey, thank you so much, and I will talk to you soon. Okay, thank you for having me. All right, we're back on the Chase Thomas podcast, and I am now joined by one of my favorite beat writers, Sean McAdam of Boston Sports Journal, um, who is a coworker of Connor Ryan, friend of the pod, um, Boston Bruins beat writer. But um, Sean, good evening. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Chase. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming on, man. I know um, 
I'm sure your phone has not stopped buzzing um, in the last couple of days. And uh, things are weird because the Red Sox obviously um, have not had the season that they envisioned coming off a World Series win. But I think one constant um, for baseball writers, analysts, um, was that Dave Dombrowski was brought on for the win now era. Like just that's why you bring him on when you have all this prospect capital and everything else in a big market. He was built for this. And you assumed he was just going to run out his contract and then move on. But the type of season that they've had, obviously, that did not come to fruition. What was your first thought when it was clear that Dave Dombrowski was um, losing his job? Well, there was a report in the uh, Boston Globe maybe a a month or so ago uh, that suggested that uh, that was written with some certainty that even though it was sort of uh, in a notes column and just kind of a one paragraph item by Dan Shaughnessy that um, Dombrowski would not return for 2020. That was the final year of his five-year deal. And when days and then weeks went by without anybody in the Red Sox organization on or off the record refuting the story, it would have been easy to either say, listen, off the record, on background, or to come out and make it a a more formal statement. This isn't true. Dave is going to be with us. We're pleased with the job he's doing. And instead, we got total silence. And that right then told me that there was plenty of smoke, uh, or plenty of uh, uh, truth to the item that Dan Shaughnessy had written. you know, as I said, there were opportunities to uh, tamp that down and they made no effort to do so. So I was assuming it was going to happen after the regular season, uh, but the timetable sped up a little bit for a number of reasons. And it happened at 12.05 uh, after the Red Sox-Yankee game on national TV on Sunday night, early Monday morning. And I don't think anyone saw that coming. No. Um, so you, like, what were some of the things though, that you saw that were like, that made it, that, that that's kind of sped up the, the firing? Well, I think one was that, uh, Dave wanted some clarification on his status. He knew that that story was out there. He had mm. to deal with people asking him, you know, do you think you'll be back? And have you been offered an extension and what have the ownership, uh, said to you. So there were all those factors. And uh, not surprisingly, when you're reading public speculation about your job security, at some point, your curiosity kicks in and you want to find out if there's any validity to it. And I think he had approached the Red Sox a couple of times and got unclear answers as to his future status. And Sunday night, I think he pushed the envelope a little bit and um, asked, uh, you know, what's going on here? Am I getting a contract extension? Am I coming back next year? And uh, they decided to tell him at the time that, no, that he was not going to be back. And uh, it was strange to look over and see him not sitting in the GM box, which is kind of a uh, a very visible spot in Fenway between home plate and first base. But People thought, you know, he could have been traveling. He could have been anywhere. Well, as it turns out, 
press release uh, the next morning. That's that's wild. Um, I it's so weird because he is he. It's so weird for a, a general manager who just won a World Series to just be in that just uncertainty um, the following year. I I guess a lot of it just depends on how you view his offseason. How much of it do you think? Was Dombrowski didn't want to re-sign Kimbrell and shore up the bullpen with other pieces? And how much do you think it was ownership um, controlling what was going on this winter? Because that seems like the biggest disconnect um, when you're reading different people and trying to get and, and get some clarity as to why the Red Sox operated the way they did coming off a World Series win. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, your your larger point is generally correct, and yet I would point out that this is now the second Red Sox chief baseball executive to be fired within two years of winning a World Series. You go back to when Dombrowski was brought on board in August of 2015, he essentially pushed aside Ben Charrington, who had yeah. put together the 2013 World Champion Red Sox. So it's become a very hot seat here in Boston. People used to make the joke about the Yankees and George Steinbrenner firing general managers and managers left and right. And now the Yankees are the picture of stability and the Red Sox are the ones who are always making the changes. So um, it's a, I'm sure from afar, it looks strange. It is strange to be the guy who put together a team that won 108 games, the most ever in Red Sox history to go out and beat three 100 win teams in the postseason and to do it without a lot of difficulty and yet be out of a job. Uh, 11 months after the parade snakes through town Um, as to why uh, I don't know that the Kimbrel thing was necessarily any sort of flashpoint or uh, determining event. I I, I don't think that uh, given their, their feeling about uh, pitchers and relievers on the decline in their thirties, I don't think there was any sense from ownership that gee, we wish he had re-signed Kimbrel I think people were worried about his durability and his declining numbers as he got into his early 30s. But I think it is fair to suggest that when you spend $245 million, as the Red Sox are going to do this year, the most they've ever spent in their history on payroll, you'd better at least make the playoffs. And uh, that's not happening. Uh, As we speak, they're eight games out of the last wildcard spot with 18 to go. So they could literally run the table here and go about 17 and one and still need help to get in. So that's not happening. Uh, I, I think, you know, as I said, they spent 240 million last year and won it all. So uh, it looked like money well spent when you spend more than that and don't even get to finish second in your division or qualify for two wild card spots. Then the scrutiny gets a little, uh, uh, a little more obvious. I um, that's a good point about Big Charrington and like them just having this revolving door. But it seemed like we knew more about Charrington and Dombrowski than we know about who looks to be um the next in line to run the Red Sox heading into this winter. Um, what do you know about Eddie Romero? Um, he's tremendously respected within the organization, and I think in the game in general, um, he's uh sort of overseen their international. Uh, amateur scouting and signings over the years. Um, but I wonder whether they, as respected as he is and as good a job as he's done in his role, 
I wonder if they have the guts or even uh, the, the thinking to put someone in that spot who has not been a GM in the big leagues. Uh, this is not Kansas City or Milwaukee or Pittsburgh, not to sound too provincial here and the hub of the universe, but um, I, you know it, it is a little different being GM of the Boston Red Sox uh, than it is the Brewers or Royals or Pirates when you haven't done it before. The media scrutiny, the fan expectation, the pressure, the history, the revenues, the resources, it's all, um, you know, a, a pretty big stage to jump onto when you haven't done it before. So as well-liked as Romero is and respected as he is, um, I, I, I'm, I'd be surprised if he got that opportunity. Would you, would you think that Mike Hazen might be priority number one then? I think if it were easy to extricate him from uh, Arizona and his contract, then that would be one of the first calls they make. Um, he's done a good job in Arizona. He certainly was uh, liked by ownership here. He was technically the general manager yeah. for a season under Dave Dombrowski. And um, nothing he's done with the Diamondbacks has taken any uh, – shine off his appeal throughout the game but i think just a few years into the job out there he'd like to see that through and more to the point being under contract i don't see the diamondbacks stepping back and allowing him to move uh, maybe the red sox try to get creative and fancy with the title and say well we're offering him a promotion from general manager yeah. to president of baseball ops uh, i think they could turn around and just give him a new title uh, and deny the Red Sox the opportunity to talk to him. Well, that's good news for Hazen. It's going to be a good offseason <laughs> either way. Um, yeah, it certainly is going to be very busy around here. So who do you, what is your gut telling you? How did the, how does Henry's Red Sox operate this, this winter? Who do they target? Who might, who would you pick right now as the favorite? And um, what do they do to address um, this roster because like the other thing that's kind of being buried a little bit is that JD Martinez or Mookie Betts will be gone this winter. Like it's just the Mookie Betts stuff is wild. JD Martinez, I can understand because you could have made a very uh, easy case that they could have moved him um, and maybe should have moved him at the deadline this year based on where they were headed this season. Um, but the Mookie Betts stuff is still just unbelievably baffling, baffling to me. Yeah. I, I, I think, um, you know, one of those they don't have uh, a lot of say in because um, Martinez could either opt out and uh, determine to leave or not. Uh, I happen to think it's going to be very difficult for a guy who's essentially a DH to do better than three years and sixty-two and a half million, sixty-three and a half million dollars over the next three years as he gets into his early thirties. We've seen how tough it is for free agents on the market trying to do that. So I think Martinez stays. Betts is obviously a much more, uh, is a tougher call. Uh, he's one of the five or six best players in the game. When he plays like he did all of last year, you could make the case that he's the best player in the game. And yet he has given every signal that he intends to go to free agency and see what else is out there. So, I've said all along, if they have some sense that that he's merely being polite about that and that he would prefer 
to go elsewhere or doesn't want to stay here, uh, then they have to look into moving him. If it's a matter of uh, do you want to outbid everybody to retain him, then it makes it uh, a little tougher call. Uh, And then I think you also have to factor in that the market for guys with a year of control left has really kind of closed up in recent years. You look at guys that are dealt with a year to go, um, take somebody like Paul Goldschmidt, who, though a very good productive hitter, is not nearly the all-around player that Betts is. He's considerably older. But when he got marketed this year, you know, he got them a decent catcher and a couple of young prospect arms. It was not this huge haul on the part of the Diamondbacks. Um, now, obviously, Betts is going to command more, but is it going to be so much more that it's worth giving up um, Mookie Betts, or are you better off, even with the fear that he's going to walk out the door a year from now, taking one more shot at trying to win a World Series while you have them under control? That to me is going to be question one when they start talking about general manager, talking to general manager candidates for the opening. I don't think it's a question. You have to. There's still way too much salary committed, and you're the the Red Sox. You're going to have a top five, top ten payroll every year, no matter what. Like you're gonna, you're always going to have a high payroll. You're always going to um, get great ratings. You're always going to make a lot of money at the at the the box office. Like I just. I don't understand the idea. Like you said, if it's just about a bidding war, the Red Sox should win any bidding war for Mookie Betts. Like there is no reason they should be outbid. Um, for I, I agree. I mean, they they have the 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 wherewithal and resources to spend with anybody. Um, the only caveat, as I said, is if they have some inclination or privately, Betts has said, "I don't like it here. I don't want to stay," and that obviously that changes the calculus. Have you heard anything about that though? Do you think he's unhappy in uh, Boston? I, I've, I've heard whispers from people outside the organization. Uh, if that's true, um, then Mookie is keeping that counsel to himself and has not shared that publicly. He continues to say all the right things, that he likes playing in Boston. But then again, I think you know if you knew you didn't want to stay here, would you really be advertising 15 months before you hit free agency that you can't especially wait for in that boston of, of all places i don't feel like that exactly. would go well <laughs> no probably not um yeah i it's gonna be interesting but i think because you're boston you just you roll the dice and if he leaves and he's unhappy and you offer him the biggest contracts i think even fans would be okay with that right isn't that all red sox fans yes, would hope I, for I, is i think like, i mean there, you know there is a there's a school of thought that says cash in the chips now and uh, get what you can for him this winter rather than being left with only a draft pick. But that glosses mm-hmm. over the fact that you would have one of the five best players in the game at age 28 next year mm-hmm. playing for you and playing right field. So there's value there, obviously. Yeah. And I think that's an easy sell to the fan base of like, look, we offered him the most money. He even took a discount to go somewhere else. The guy just didn't want to play here anymore. And also, yeah. if they won next year, I, fans would be okay with it if he walked after winning like winning two world series titles in a couple of years i think red sox fans would be like oh well guess guess what you also have rafael devers and you've done a great job developing young talent you've done a great job signing other young talent like i yep. think um but also it's different front office at that point so we'll have to see what they do but i think there's just you can trust the red sox infrastructure 
um, to a, a strong degree at this point that uh, they're going to do the right yeah. thing and they'll figure it out. Yep. Yeah, I mean, their player development system, at least when it comes to position players, pitching is something else because uh, we're going on about 11 years since they have developed the starter of their own of any note, and that's Clay Buckold. So they have not been nearly as successful for whatever reason developing pitching, but there are nights when they can field an entire homegrown team. Uh, and it's rare that a big market team can say that. This offseason, what do you think they ultimately do? Is there is Garrett Cole a Red Sox next year? How do you look no, at I, this offseason? I, I can't see them uh, being bidders. I, I mean, I think there is going to be a, a concerted effort to trim spending this offseason. And I don't mean cut in half but get closer to one of the luxury tax thresholds. Uh, they have spent uh, nearly a half a billion dollars in salary the last two years. That's not sustainable, um, even in a big market where the revenues are, are considerable. You're paying a ridiculous amount of taxes. Uh, you're you're le- losing draft pick position as a penalty. You're having your international pool curtailed some because of it. There are too many consequences to continue to spend at the top of the market like that. It's not an efficient way of doing business. And when you think about the money they have committed next year alone, $31 million for price, $25 million, uh, you know, $29 million for sale as that contract kicks in, uh, $17.5 million for Evaldi. I mean, you're, you're talking about, uh, you know, 70 almost $78 million for three starters. And we know Garrett Cole is going to get close to, if not above 30 million AAV when he signs. I don't think you can have four pitchers, uh, you know, three pitchers making north of $29 million a year. That's a hundred million dollars for 60% of your rotation. All right. Final two things. And we'll wrap up here. Give me your boldest Boston Red Sox offseason take and your favorites or what you'll miss most about covering Dave Dombrowski in Boston? Uh, My boldest take is I think they're going to go big on a GM. I think they're going to shoot high for some big names. And I think the guy they end up with is Chris Antonetti from the Indians. Oh, no. Some New England roots. Um, I I think it may take some coercion and a lot of money Mm-hmm. And getting creative, but I, I can see that uh, being somewhat of a long shot, but I'm going to go out on the limb and say that. Uh, and missing about Dave Dombrowski, he was not a reporter's dream. He was always hmm. available. Uh, he was always affable, but he didn't tell you a whole lot. So uh, I, I'll miss his friendliness and uh, and availability, but I won't necessarily miss the responses that you got for your questions. Interesting. So he was always available, but he he knew that uh, he could keep everything close to the vest and he yeah, wasn't he, actually going to say anything. Yeah, what not to say. Right. Hmm. All right. Well, hopefully the next GM is um, a little bit different and uh, does not follow the Dombrowski or Bill Belichick model and it's a little bit more yeah, ridiculous. We, like we get a Bobby Valentine in there. No, I, I, I lived through a year of that. No, thank you. Not a fan? You didn't enjoy the year of Bobby Valentine? Not at all. Not one <laughs> single tiny bit. <laughs> I feel like that's a common thread among um, yeah, a lot yeah, of people. Yeah, I don't know a lot of people that did. Yeah. 
All right. Well, this has been great, Sean. I really appreciate you taking the time tonight. Is there anything we need to check out from you this week? Um, well, we would ask people to check out Boston Sports Journal. We are a uh, subscription site, but quite affordable. Thirty-four ninety-five a year. You get the great Connor Ryan, who your listeners are familiar with, covering the Bruins. Uh, Greg Bedard, who's nationally known and is the uh, editor and owner of the site on the Patriots. That's always good reading. And uh, Brian Robb does a terrific job covering the Celtics for us. BostonSportsJournal.com, $34.95 a year. There you go. Do it. And also, if you see Connor in the near future, ask him to uh, just give him a departed line to say because his accent is one of my favorite things I've ever heard in my life. I, yeah, the first time he, I heard him speak, he could, I didn't think it was real. In that movie. I didn't think it was real. Sean, I, I could not believe it when he started talking. I'm like, what is this? This is the best thing I've ever heard in my life. I, I love it. Um, it. It was great. So shout out to him. And Sean, thank you for making the time. This was a lot of fun. Um, good luck uh, with the interesting off season ahead in Boston, to say the least. But Thanks I appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, I appreciate it. All right, that'll do it for today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. Thank you again to our presenting sponsor, Panko Chicken. Um, thank you again to all of my awesome guests for coming on the pod. Um, and don't forget, if you like today's episode and you are an Apple Podcast listener, please leave us a five-star rating and a review. It helps. Um, you can also find us on Google Play, Spotify, Um where you can access all of my previous episodes and read all my work. So Chase Thomas podcast slash page hyphen 11. Um, so go do that. Read all my stuff. Listen to the podcast. Um, all that good stuff. Uh, also follow me on Twitter at Chase double underscore Thomas. Uh, like the Facebook page at uh, facebook.com slash Chase Thomas writer. And uh, also follow me on Instagram at Chase double underscore Thomas. All right. Thanks so much, guys. And I will have another episode for you very soon. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas podcast. Hell yeah. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.